0: good morning ladies we're gonna get the party started I'm so glad that you guys are here man um, I say it every month because I mean it there's no place I'd rather be on a cold dreary morning than in a room full of women that are just wanting to be nurtured encouraged strengthened and trained as they mother as we mother and so so glad that you're here um, we're gonna go ahead and get started and and uh, Seated around you today are some potentially some new faces. On average, we have about 40 new moms at all of our events um, each month. And so make, be sure as you're introducing yourself, you pay attention to those that might be new. And for those of you that it's your first time, um, The Nest exists to nurture, encourage, strengthen, and train moms as we raise the next generation of children to love and follow Christ. And it is our prayer that that happens with you here today. A few things I wanna draw your attention to. Um, First thing is you got a handout when you walked in. One, it's a notes page for today's message. And the second thing is something called, it's uh, by hands and feet, candy caning the neighborhood. And so it's just a little handout for you, an activity to do with your littles um, this holiday season that points them back to the true meaning of Christmas. So be sure to read that, take that with you and do that. Um, second of all, second announcement I want to make is our next event will be January 25th. January 25th. So we take a break for a good six, seven weeks now. And January 25th, we'll be back together in here. And it's going to be an event that's a little bit more different than normal. Um, we call, we're call we going to call it the gift of renewal. And it's going to be a time that we come back from the holidays. Kids are back in school. Routines have started. House is now decluttered. Maybe, maybe not. Christmas is taken down and we're moving into the coldest months of the year. And it's going to be just a time for you to come and be renewed. Um, And so it'll look a little bit differently, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. So I don't want to spoil the surprise. So be sure you sign up and bring your friends um, when you come January 25th. And then lastly, church-wide, there is an event called Recharge that's just for women. It's Saturday, January 26th. I believe there's a slide that'll come up here in a moment. Um, January 26th, it's called Recharge. This is for all the women, um, for you and the women in your life. So think friends, neighbors. Family members, um, siblings, like anyone that you can invite. This will be a night of worship and of teaching um, with as women of Watermark. And so please come to that. Um, You will not regret coming. And so with that, um, I want to invite Millie Hale up to the stage. She is one of our long term mentor moms. She's been mentoring me, I mean, for all of my mothering years, so my oldest is ten and a half, and she 's going to give us just a little three minute little quick encouragement, and then we 'll get our main teachers up on the stage
1: Well, good morning, ladies. I think I have a slide too, um, and they just passed it up again. I just want to encourage all I think as I, um, as I go through uh, as I went through and, and I just thought about it last year we studied Second Samuel. And I, they always have the big idea for those of you that do Wednesday morning Bible study. And I was really at the, looking back on David's life and just all through second Samuel, I noticed all the things the Lord did on, on, uh, David's behalf. I mean, you can look at that. He refines, he rewrites, he restores, he renews. He redeems and he reclaims us as his children. And I started thinking about, gosh, if the Lord's so busy doing all that, what is my responsibility? And I really know that my responsibility is to reflect back on where the Lord's worked in my life. Remember all the things that he's done. When you remember something, you're bringing all the members back together and making it one. Um, he calls us to remind, and that's what I want to do for y'all today. And then he, causes us to re, he calls us to repent and then also rejoice in what he's doing in our lives. And so I just wanted to share a quick story with you. You know, my last one launched to a and in August, and she has OCD. And so there's a mom in here that's been real instrumental in getting us to the right therapist and getting and really encouraging me um, with how to handle that. And that was Laura Elmore. And so that kind of will come into play in a minute. But when she got to to a and M, I I was a little bit worried about just her heart for being Homesick. That was a real possibility with Grace, and so I didn't hear from her for two weeks. And I was thinking, man, she must be soaring at A and M. And I kept calling her, and she wouldn't call me back. Or I'd text her, and I may get like a one answer text. Well, I, her roommate called me two weeks into A and M, and I was like, oh gee, what does Gabby want? Well, I answered the phone, and Gabby goes, Mrs. Hale, what do I do with Grace? all she does is cry all day. I was like, what? And I go, well, tell her to call me. She goes, she won't call you because she doesn't want, she thinks if she, you know, talks to you or sees you that she'll, it'll just be worse. So I said, I'm calling her right now. You put her on the phone. So she called and she cried the entire time. And so I reflected and remembered that seven years prior to her going to a my husband had signed my son up for a golf tournament at A&M and we, it was Easter weekend and I don't want to be in A&M on Easter weekend. I want to be at my church, in my house, on my celebrating with my family. But we went and we went to church and we sat by a family that came up to me afterwards and said, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. Are y'all new to town? I said, Oh no, we're just here for a golf tournament. And she said, I said, but my daughter's about, my oldest daughter, Sally was about to start a She was a senior in high school. She's going to start in the fall. And this mom said, Oh my gosh, my husband's a dentist here. I would love for you to call me if she has any issues. So I tucked her number into my phone. Didn't think a thing about it. I texted her when Sally got there, Sally, there were skid marks in the driveway when she went to, college. She was happy as a clam. So I kind of texted Allison and said, hey, we're doing great. But seven years later, when I hung up the phone for Grace with her crying, I thought, Allison Wright, I've got to reach out to Allison Wright. So I reached out and just said, hey, Allison, are you still, you probably don't remember me seven years ago. Are you still at Grace Southwood? And she said, oh my gosh. I said, I just launched my last era there. She said, send me your number. I'll check on her. So she not only checked on her, I didn't even mention it to Grace. A week and a half later, I called Gracie and she's like, hi, mom. And I said, oh my gosh, you sound great. And she said, mom, you are not going to believe. Miss Wright came to the Callaway house today and got me and took me to lunch. And she is the nicest mom. And I said, Grace, everybody needs a mom friend. And so when I talked to her this week, she said, oh, Friday, I'm going with Miss Wright. Gabby, now her roommate, serves at Grace Southwood because of Miss Wright. And so I just tell you that, and then also it comes back to the OCD moment. I encouraged Gracie when she got to AM, I said, get into some flows. I mean, Sally didn't know about all these freshman leadership organizations. So Gracie reluctantly tried out for Fish Aids, didn't get it. Got an interview, but she did terrible in her interview. So she, she wrestled with whether she should try out for Gilbert leadership she tries out for Gilbert leadership and she goes, mom, I did terrible. I'm the worst at interviews. I didn't know what was going on. So she, um, anyways, long story short, I said, Gracie, I'm so glad you did so bad because now if you get it, it will be of the Lord, not of you. So sure enough, she got Gilbert leadership. So I'm doing the, the sibling, uh, harmony speak uh, speaking. And so who's in the audience, but Laura Elmore, Well, about four or five days later, Laura Elmore, I told that story about Gilbert leadership. Laura Elmore calls me and says, Millie, you're not going to believe this. David Gilbert is my cousin. So she had already called her aunt who runs the whole thing. She did this for her son that died of cancer. And so it's just so I look at that, guys, and I just want to encourage you and remind you that as I've been reminded lately, God is playing chess. And we're playing checkers. And I just think we've got to remember that with our kids. When we think we know the right team, the right teacher, the right this, the right that, we really don't know what's right for our kids. And we, if we spend more time praying and trusting in the Lord's provision, I just want to remind you that he's got a colorful plan for our kids. And so just trust in that plan for him and just a lot of prayer. So I just want to remind y'all. Thanks,
0: Millie. Awesome. What a great reminder that is.
1: Um, oh, remind you about uh, Romans 8. I'll send it back to the Lord. Remind you about Romans eight twenty eight that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. And so in all things we, and it says, and we know that in all things. And so God is constantly, one of my favorite phrases for my kids is always, hey, God's going to work out the details. He will work out the details.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Millie. Okay. With that guys, I am so excited to introduce to you guys two of my favorite people. Um, today you're going to have the privilege of hearing from Suzanne Sanderson and Mandy Cisco. Um, Suzanne Sanderson, for those of you that don't know, she's on staff. She is our women's director over the family ministries. And so the nest reports to her. So basically she's my boss. And so she's here and, um, she is a fantastic woman of the Lord. Um, you're going to get to hear more of her story. So I won't share with you that now, but she is one that will inspire you you um, to walk faith with the Lord, regardless of the story that he is writing. And so with that, I'm going to pray and welcome Sue's up to the stage. Uh, Father God, thank you for a room full of women. Um, that are here wanting to be nurtured, encouraged, strengthened, and trained. And Lord, I pray that you will do just that right here, right now. I pray that whatever we walked into the room with, um, the burdens we're carrying, the concerns we have, the stresses of life, Father, the things we're rejoicing in, um, the things that we see you working in and are praising you for, all of those things, Lord, um, we thank you for and we ask that you reveal today just a little bit more of your story for us. In your name that we pray. Amen.
2: I literally the first thing that crossed my mind was I feel like I've been prepping for this talk for 28 years Which makes me 31 just if you want to do the math um, but really like This this is probably the my favorite one i've ever done It's also been the hardest one i've ever done And the reason I say the last 28 years is i'm going to tell you just a little bit of my story when I was a senior in high school My dad sat us down in the living room at spring break. It was my mom, my sister, and I. And he said, I just want you all to know that I don't believe in God anymore. And I was like, huh, what? And y'all, we had been in church every time the doors were open. My dad was a youth minister when I was born. He was a part-time youth minister for a part of my life. My mom worked for the church. Right in my freshman year of high school, everything kind of started changing. And as soon as I could drive, I was driving my sister and I to church. And there was always a reason why my parents didn't go. And I didn't really understand why at the time. But then, senior year, he sat a and he told us that. And I was like, everything I knew shattered in that moment. Everything changed. And so the Lord and I, this is literally what I said, now you have to prove it. You have to prove to me that you're real. You have to prove to me that you are who you say you are. And so for 10 years, the Lord and I wrestled. And if you know much about me, I'm a huge wrestler. Like, you can't tell me anything that I take at face value. If you come and say, I think this is the best thing to do, I'll be like, ah, maybe. And then I wrestle with it. And I may come back to what you said, but I'm going to have to wrestle with it. So I'm a huge wrestler. So the Lord and I wrestled for 10 years. And in the process of that, of me saying, prove to me who you say you are, God shifted the question on me. And he turned to me and he said, am I enough? And so for the last... 28 minus 10 so last 18 years. That's been the question that has riddled everything that's happened in my life. So just to kind of give you a litany of things that have built this story, I guess, is I'm 45 and single with no kids. That's what I would call maybe the ultimate shattered dream in my life. I had a two-year stint with depression, and there's been other small pockets with depression because I definitely tend more towards the glass glass half empty. I would say there's just half the amount in there. I'm just a realist, okay? And then there was a six-year period about eight years ago where five people in my life died, and I got, I got to the brink of literal exhaustion, and I, didn't, I literally didn't know how to have an emotion anymore, because I was like, I just am emotioned out. Like, it's all, it's all gone. There was five years of sickness that changed everything about my body. I mean, riddled with parasites and bugs, just all the things. It was It was awful. There were times I sat across from my boss and said, I'm not sure I'm a believer. It made me crazy. Stuff was in my brain and literally affecting the way I thought, processed. I couldn't remember things. Like, people would walk up and I'm like, I know I know your name. And it's going to come to me. I think it'll come to me. Like, it was, I felt insane. Like, I really felt crazy. And then... This one's small in comparison to some of those things, but I still don't have my own house. Currently, I'm living in what I call a side yard. So some people converted their garage, and so I call it the side yard. So it's just a room and a closet and a bathroom. And so I live there. So at 45, I lied, I'm not 31, 45, (laughs) I, I have nothing that I wanted 28 years ago. Like nothing that I thought my life would look like. And yet, God continued to ask me, Am I enough? And I want to tell you that the gift of contentment all comes back to that question. Contentment isn't something you work for, contentment is something you have to learn. And from that, God gives you contentment. And so, once you figure out that you're satisfied and that He's enough, then He presents you with that gift. And so, it's hard because you're like, I just want to be that. And yet, He says there's a lot you have to walk through to get there. And I just realized I completely skipped telling y'all one thing. So as a result of being single, usually people get to put pictures of their family up here. And so I'm going to put this picture up here because these are all my little people who some of them have grown, which would prove I'm not 31. But these are all the people, the kids that I've known, some of them since they were literally born and some of them since they were like in second grade when I started my job at Watermark. And these are kids that I've gotten to grow up with. Some will literally call me aunt and then some of them just call me their second mom or like an older sister. I'm like, just say I'm like a sister. You don't have to add older in there. <laughs> but anyway, so this is just one of the byproducts of the Lord keeping me in the stage of life that he's kept me. And they are such gifts to me. And was, I started to put one picture and I was like, oh, but what about them? And what about them? So I just started adding and I was like, oh, and I'm probably going to leave people out. So if I left your kid out, sorry. Um, Anyway, so that's just a product of all that. So back to contentment. I want to start with the signs of discontentment, because I think that helps us in our life when things start to crop up that we're able to look at what might be showing me that I don't have satisfaction in the Lord. And so how many of y'all have seen The Italian Job? This is also going to make me say, show how old I am. Have y'all seen? Oh, good. A lot of y'all. Okay, so there's a scene in the movie where she talks about the word fine, and that stuck with me when she said it, because it used to be that we walked around and said, hey, how are you? And we'd go, I'm fine, I'm fine. And what, the, what was the reality? So it was these words, something of one of these words was happening in, in your life. You're either freaking out, you're insecure, you're neurotic, or you're emotional. Okay, so when people say, I'm fine, you're like, well, what's really going on? And so this word stuck with me, and I started, when I was doing this talk, I was like, that's so much what discontentment looks like. No matter what's going on in our life, one of those things is probably playing out. And so there's some other words that I want to give you. Depression, worry, anxiety, anger, control, laziness, overwhelmed, grumbling, disputing, like those things. If those things are happening, there's a, about 98% chance that something in my life I'm discontent, which means I'm not finding satisfaction in the Lord. And so when we look at Philippians 2, 14 through 16, I'm going to pause here for just a second. In this summer, whenever I found out we were going to do Philippians as a church, I was like, you know, I've never like in, like, plunged into a book of the Bible and just sat there for a really long time. I tried really hard to do Romans and I was, oh, I got lost in that one verse today thing. So I bailed, did Philippians and uh, <laughs> confessions. But I, and that's what I were doing it as a church. So then I went off. If you haven't heard of something called Look at the Book, it's John Piper. Literally, all you see on the screen is scripture and he walks you through a chunk of scripture and it's amazing. And so I've started in Philippians 1-1 with him because he's done the entire book of Philippians. So look, write that on your paper. Look at the book. And it's on his Desiring God website. And it is phenomenal. And if you go listen to Philippians, you're going to go, she just stole everything he said, which is pretty much going to be true, which is great because it all comes from Scripture. Okay, so Philippians two fourteen through 16, the very first part of that says do all things without grumbling or disputing. And so as I said, that's one of the things is if we're grumbling or disputing, probably means we're not content. It means we're not okay with where we are. And when I looked at that word disputing, and Piper said, he was like, that means you're arguing with God. And I was like, oh, wait, wait, what? <laughs> so grumbling and disputing, I thought like amongst ourselves, but grumbling would be amongst ourselves and what we're saying, but disputing is that we're actually arguing with the Lord. And I thought, man, that's really. And then Galatians 5, 19 through 24, at the beginning of it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. And then Colossians, Colossians 3, 1 through 5, says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So anything in our life that looks like those things, And that grumbling and disputing, any of that litany of things, means that something in our flesh is rising up. Which means we're not living in the spirit. Which means we're not content and satisfied with the Lord. So y'all see that connection? And y'all, I want y'all to know another. I'm gonna pause a whole lot in the middle of my thing. I do not have this figured out. I am in the midst of wrestling with this. If I did this talk in five years, I would say, I've been preparing for this for 33 years. Like, this is the rest of our lives. So I just want y'all to know, this has been a whooping of a six months since I got this topic because the Lord just keeps saying, am I enough? And so this is a constant battle. And so if you're living in our flesh and the world is satisfying us, we are then breaking the first and the last commandment, which is have no other God before me, And don't have idols. And so he sandwiches that, which is really cool because he's saying, hey, nothing in your life is going to satisfy. So anything marriage, kids, friendship, home, food, TV, knowledge, power, control, comfort, any of those things that you're seeking satisfaction in is idolatry. And the Lord is saying, don't run to those things because they will not work. And so I came up with four questions to ask yourself. When you're in the midst of trying to figure out, am I discontent? Which is probably a pretty fast answer. But then, look at these questions. So, number one, what are you looking to for satisfaction or affirmation? Two, what holds your desires and affections? And then three, have your desires become expectations? And are your expectations promises from the Lord? And that should be on your paper that you got. Um those questions that especially the desires to become expectations and expectations, promises from the Lord. At some point in my 20s, I realized I grew up believing I was going to get married and have kids. That's just what you do. And so, and everyone told me that. Like, hey, Suzanne, you're so great with kids. Of course you're gonna be a mom. And I think it was when I was four. She's gonna be such a great mom. And I heard that my entire life. And yet that wasn't the Lord's plan for me. And so when I Stopped and realized, that's a desire of my heart. That's something he might give me. That's something he's definitely giving other people, but it's not an expectation. I had to kill that. I had to kill that expectation in my heart and realize, you didn't promise me that. And then I had to go back and forget, what did he actually promise me? And so, let's get to what, how we're gonna learn contentment. And again, I would tell you, I keep using that word because that's the title, but it's really learning satisfaction in the Lord. It's really learning that he's enough. And so the most famous verse on contentment is Paul when he's sitting in a prison cell, which is Philippians four eleven through twelve. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And I don't. I think sometimes we read that and think, "Oh, Paul thinks prisons awesome." Like he's like, "This is so great." And I'm like, oh, "There's no way that's what he's saying." Because if you read in verse fourteen. He says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And there's another uh, translation that calls it difficulty. Like, he's not saying this is easy. Being tied to a guard, I'm like, that sounds awful. Being, like, connected to someone all day. And I think we read that and go, oh, Paul was living in roses. When I'm like, no, he's saying it's really hard. But what he's telling you is that he's learned his lens on life. Like, his lens on every circumstance in his life is that Christ is enough for him, and so when you read in 13, he says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So he needs the strength, he needs the ability to be okay in that situation, but he's finding that from the Lord, not in her circumstance. And so we get to learn from Paul that that's what changes everything, is when you realize where your satisfaction comes from, then you can be content. Y'all tracking with me? Lots of nods. Okay, great. Now, um, another, y'all, is hilarious. I'm like, oh, and tell him about this, and oh, tell him about this. So, Whenever I was doing this whole, uh, this part of this, I was realizing that Paul is sitting in prison while he's writing Philippians. And then I went, wait a minute, and Paul was sitting in prison a lot when he's writing a whole lot of books. And so I was curious, how long did Paul sit in prison? So I went and looked, and of course, it's like, we think it was this time. So they would say it was approximately six years, which was approximately 20% of his believing life. That's a lot of time. Like, that's a lot of sitting in prison. And then I have a friend who's struggling with her current circumstances, and she was like, I just don't feel like my gifts are being used. And I thought, if I was Paul's friend, I think I would be telling the Lord, I think you messed up. The greatest evangelist who's ever lived is sitting in prison. Like, you've, this, is not really, this is not good, so we should figure out how to break him out. And then he even got broken out, and since the, the door's open, and then he stayed to share Christ. And so I'm like, Do you, like, his his understanding was that no matter what was happening in his life was coming from the lord and so therefore god had a plan and purpose in it and so in our lives whether we're sitting at home and going gosh i used to be really gifted at the thing i did and now i'm literally sitting and changing diapers and wiping up spit up or now my three-year-old and i can't take my eyes off of them because they're the tasmanian devil. whatever it is we think we're being wasted and i'm like guys Paul, okay, most of us who would go, I can't attain to who he was, was sitting in prison writing books for us to tell us that Christ is enough. And so whatever you're doing, you are discipling a small human. (laughs) You are raising up potentially the next Paul, and you want to be pouring in satisfaction, which means you have to be modeling that in your own life. To train your kids in them, especially at this age, means you've got to be living it out yourself. You've got to be modeling within that God is enough no matter what mine. Now, how do we get there? Philippians 3, 7 through, you're going to hear a lot of Philippians. I don't know if y'all caught that yet, but Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so when we count everything as rubbish, idolatry actually dies. So if everything in life compared to Christ is rubbish... Idolatry can't be there because Christ will be number one in your life, which I thought was awesome. And then Colossians 2, 1 through 3, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul's telling us everything you need to know is hidden in Christ. Everything. And I don't always believe that. I think it's in the latest blog or it's in the latest podcast or it's in the latest Purse my friend, who knows whatever, but it's all hidden in him. So if it's not pointing me directly back to him, I'm not going to find what I need. It has to be found in him. And then he tells us to hold fast to the word of life. So Philippians 2, 14 and 16, it says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, back to that, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Colossians 3, 1 and 5 says, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what I think is super interesting about this verse is we had to, I did the Monday night study, single-minded and We had to go through and look at all the Greek words for these, and I started writing them down, and it was things like, honorable is deeply respected because majestic. And I was like, oh, what, okay. Pure, holy because uncontaminated. It's like, all right, right, approved by God. And I got to that one, and all of a sudden I went, "Yo, there's not anything that is those things but one thing. Christ is the only thing that lives up to all of those things. And I read in Constable's notes, and he said it's the briefest biography of Christ. And I was like, what Paul's saying is, the only thing you can think about is Jesus. Like, and it sounds, you know, we like, well, what's honorable? Okay, let me think. Someone fighting in the army. Like, or what's pure? A little baby. I'm like, y'all, all of that is tainted. All of that is tainted because we live in this world. The only thing that is all of those things is Jesus. And so if we don't fix our eyes on Christ... We will be swayed by this world. We will crumble in discontentment. And so then, um, to be able to count everything as rubbish, to hold fast to the word of life, it means you actually have to know what the word of life promises. And so word of life is the gospel. It points back to Jesus. And heres I'm just going to give you a very small number of things that the word of life promises. There's so many, and I would, I would implore you, do the work. Do the work to find out what God actually promises you will happen. Take what you think is true and then go find scripture and make sure it matches up. A couple years uh, I think I told you this in the spring, so it must have been like last fall. I had to stop and make myself go, I've been saying a lot of things to myself lately. Like, if I'm supposed to be married... God I'll be married or God's not going to withhold anything good marriage is good which means he's not withholding anything good from me which means that wouldn't be good for me so like I was telling me all myself all these things and we can get it just enough twisted which is what the enemy wants to do is just turn it just enough off of truth so we've got to go back to scripture and make sure what we're speaking to ourselves every day is true, and so be preaching yourself scripture. And if you need to make it a little bit pithy for yourself, just always be sure you go back and refilter it. Does that make sense? Like go back and recompare it to make sure what you're saying is true. So, a couple of things: what he started, he'll finish. Which I think, if you're a believer, God is not done with you yet, and He will finish what He started in your life. So, no matter how bleak it looks, when I'm sitting across from my boss, going, "Maybe I'm not actually a believer." This is a verse that he pulled out. Like, hey, what he began, he's going to complete. Like, it's okay. This right now looks incredibly insane, but God is not done, and so you get to hold on to that. He's working in you. So, Philippians two thirteen, for God is for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Philippians four nineteen, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then Galatians five nineteen through twenty four, which we know, which is the fruit of the spirit. And that's crazy because it's right after all that list of stuff he does. If you're living in the flesh, it's these things. But if you're living in the spirit, you get all those things. And y'all, we read that list of what the fruit of the spirit is like. That's what we want. We want peace and we want joy and we want patience. Like that's the things we really want. But when we're living in our flesh and we're discontent and we're running for satisfaction, those are the things that start to come out in our lives. And so it's just such a great mirror for us. The pain of obedience will result in glory. So that's another thing the Word of Life promises. First, God's glory, which is obviously the most important. Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so it's like he, and i in choosing to not throw thousands of verses at y'all. I had to take some out. But what's really cool is when you look in Philippians, how often he's referencing what Jesus said. Like he's showing you, I believe what he told me. And here's, here's why I'm living the way I'm living. And so he's saying right here, like, God said, the hard things are going to happen, but I've overcome the world. And this is going to be so my Father will be glorified. And so right here, he's saying, it's happening so the gospel moves forward. And so he's believing what Jesus told him, and then he's living it out. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Philippians 2, 2, 2, oh, mm, 2 14 through 16. Or right, is that a grumbling and disputing verse? Again, among whom you shine like lights in the world, so that the day of Christ may be proud that I did not run and labor in vain. So again, showing who Christ is. And then First Peter 4, 10 through 11. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever. So it's him working in you to bring about his glory. And then here's what I think is even crazier. It's also going to be about your glory. Not here, but one day, and this maybe is like I had a moment. of just going, whoa, I forget this. We're going to be glorified with him. We are sharing in his inheritance. And I think, we, and it's good, we have to continue to put our flesh aside and this is not about us and lift up Christ, which is exactly what our job is. But once we do all that and share in his suffering of becoming like him, even to the point of death on a cross and carrying our cross, we will then be glorified with him in the end. And that is where our hope comes from. Like that's our hope assured. And when we say, I have hope, it's not I hope something's gonna happen. It's like I know it's going to happen. My hope is in Christ and what he did for me and where he is now, which is where I'm going. And so when you read in Romans eight, fifteen through eighteen And 30, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, which is insane. That's crazy. (sighs) Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering in this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Y'all, that's crazy. That's a crazy promise of an inheritance to come, which is why we can be content and satisfied now, because of what we know is coming. And so, the results. How do we know if we're there? Um, if we're holding fast, and then we are trusting him, his work on the cross, his sovereignty, his ability, his goodness, his faithfulness, everything that he promises, and then we see, fruit of the Spirit, like we talked about, and then Romans fifteen thirteen, I think is maybe now one of my go-to favorite verses of all time. I pray that God, the source of hope, and so it's that hope that we talked about, which is our eternal inheritance, our promise, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The most important five words in that verse are because you trust in Him. And when we trust Him, it means we're saying you're enough. You're enough and I'm satisfied in you and you will accomplish what you promised in my life. And then um, just recently I found, I don't know, how, do y'all know Bible Hub? Have y'all heard of this? If you don't know about it, write that down on your paper too. So um, they have an app, which also blew my mind. So Bible Hub, you click on Bible Hub and you click on that little black Bible, looks like 1990s Bible app, you know, little icon over there you click on that, and then up there it says references. You put in Romans 15, 13. So this is what I did. And I did this because uh, another thing I had to do for that study was ask people in my life what's a way that I could mature. And one of the things they came and said to me was having joy in all circumstances. And I was like, ew, that's going to hurt. And I thought about it, and I was like, man, I'm I'm not a naturally happy person. Like, I'm not... Because I, I'm a wrestler, and so I'm more on the. If you're, if I'm probably going to cry with you more than I'm going to squeal when you get engaged, and for maybe multiple reasons. But uh, just kidding. Rejoice with us. Rejoice more. Yeah. Okay. Um. But I. So I'm just not. I just. I'm not naturally bubbly. That's just not my personality. And so I'm like, okay. So what does joy actually really mean? And so that's what I went to this, and I was like, if i if I trust him, I'll be filled with joy. So what does it mean? So I went here. Found Romans 15, 13, and then I clicked, if you look up, oh, you can click on the next slide, and over, oh, sorry, mm -hmm, go back, go back, okay, do you all see up there, it says GRK, it's like this, the little, do you all see that, y'all, loud, yes, okay, great, it's on the right side, over there, up at the top, GRK, that's the Greek, so now we're going to click and look at the Greek words, so now you can go to the next one, and then you go click over there on that number next to joy. It says 5479, y'all see that little arrow over there. So I clicked on that, and then this is what pops up. So this is the definition of what joy is. And this right here is, along with all those other things, the thing that's wrecking me the most. But if you look where it says it says the awareness of God's grace and favor, grace recognized. And y'all, those two words, grace recognized, I went, oh everything that comes in my life, trials. So when he says to have joy and suffering, He says to rejoice in your trials. Anytime it says that, what he's saying is that you are stopping and recognizing God's grace. There's two things about that. One is that you're recognizing this trial, whatever it is, is meant to point me to him. It's meant to show me more of who he is. It's meant to show me more of who I am, which is in need of him. And so it's it's meant to do this. Now, it is hard in the midst of trial to go, God is using this. He has either allowed it or caused it. It's one of the two things. But whatever he's doing in that moment is part of his grace to draw me closer to himself. So I can have joy in that because that's what I'm created for. I'm created to know him and be in a relationship with him. And so anything that happens in my life is grace, so therefore I can have joy. And if in the midst of sitting on a cross and going, I can't remember people's names, and I may not even be a believer, if the thing that I could hold on to was... God promised me He would never let me go. I am His, so if nothing else, it's the joy of my salvation. And so we can have joy in the midst of heart. And I don't believe that means we're running around saying that everything's amazing when people are dying left and right in my life, or when my uh, whatever it is, I'm set, all the things. Like it doesn't mean I have to be jumping for joy. But it does mean my heart should be satisfied and content in him. It should mean I'm at peace and rest in Romans 15:13. And so the very last verse, Philippians 4, 4 through 9, it's not the last verse slide. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so peace, joy, thankfulness, those are the things that are going to mark a life who's satisfied in Christ. And so therefore, let's change our freaking out of insecure, neurotic, and emotional, and let's change it to something different. Instead of freaking out, let's fastly hold to the word of life, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, trusting him and his truth. Instead of being insecure, let's say, I'm secure Knowing who you are, whose you are, and his finished work on the cross. Instead of being neurotic, and when I think about neurotic, I think about someone who's just running around frantically, like, freaking out, but not like, way concerned about themselves. But let's not be swayed by our circumstances. Don't let anything knock you off of your mission for God's glory. Jeremiah 17, 7-8 says, For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by stream, and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Which means, when we are planted deeply in the living water, Jesus Christ, we can endure the hard things, and our life will still produce the fruits of the Spirit. Like, that's what that's saying. We can still have love, joy, peace, patience, all the things, because we're trusting in Him, and He's going to do those, that work through us. And then for emotional But the word enough, he is enough for everything. What I want, what I think I need, for what he's called me to do, he is enough. Recently, somebody said to me, Suzanne, you kind of always say the same thing. When I bring you things, it's kind of always the same answer. And I thought, crud, I got to get some new material. But y'all, you know what I realized? There's not another answer. There's just not. And if you've been listening to me at the Nest for the last four years, it's the same thing. I just repackage it. Trusting him. He is all that you need, and if you trust him, no matter what comes at you, so what I realize, I have a lot of people that I talk to when they're having hard things happen, and if I try to prepare for all y'all circumstances, there is no way. There's just not, because there's baggage, there's filters, there's Three different people. and I mean, it's, it's all different. So those combinations create thousands upon thousands of things. But if I start here with the one thing that's true, and that's my filter, and that's where we start, and then we move towards that, this is so much easier. It's so much simpler. And I looked in the mirror this morning, I thought, I'm really going to make you life so much simpler. There's only one thing to pursue, <laughs> like run after him. And so, In 2 Corinthians one twenty, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen, which also means yes, to God for his glory. So Christ, he gave us promises. He sent Jesus to fulfill all of those things. And so we can say yes to the Lord and give him the glory because all of our satisfaction and things can be found in him. So we are going to spend some time um, at our tables, and I just want you to reflect. I'm going to put two questions up here, so we're not talking to each other. We're going to play music really softly, and you are going to um, think about these questions. What are you looking to for satisfaction or affirmation apart from the Lord, and which of your desires have become expectations? So I want you to be really honest with yourself, and then I want you to confess those to the Lord, and then I want you to pray. And then when we're done with that, um, Mandy's going to come up and share next. And so I'd love to pray for us as we head into that. Father, thank you just for your sufficiency. Thank you that you created us to know you. Thank you that you created us to show your glory. Thank you that you created us to show a watching world that you are what they're looking for. And so thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the season that we get to stare and reflect At Jesus and what you did in sending him and what he said yes to on the cross. Thank you that he, even in the midst of having to endure a cross, said yes, said yes to you and had joy in the midst of that because he was content and satisfied in you to do your will. May our hearts, Lord, just uh, draw us deep into who you are. Pull our eyes away from the things that are keeping us distracted and the things that we're worried about, and all the things that create discontentment in our hearts and show us that our complete satisfaction can be found in you. Thank you for these women. Thank you for the lives that you've given them. Thank you for the story that you're writing in each of them. May their hearts and their minds and their souls be tethered to you in a way that this world does not impact. Amen.
0: All right, ladies, it's time for us to hear for our next gal. Um, <clears throat> my voice is going. So, Sue's challenge us to believe is he enough? And I don't know about you, but, um, this time of year, just, that was exactly what I needed to hear. And so is he enough? And that is the answer to finding contentment. Um, contentment is learned. It is not something that comes naturally. And so I hope you were as inspired as I was. And so next up, we're going to hear from another one of my favorite people, uh, Mandy Sisko, and she is married to Lance and, um, he is the director of merge here at Watermark. And, um, this young lady, young lady, this peer, young lady. That was so weird. She's like, not anyways, whatever. This friend of mine, um, has been around the nest for a long time. And, and she is one that I go to when I don't know what to do with the things that my kids are doing. Cause her kids are slightly older than mine. And so, uh, Mandy come on up and I'm going to pray for her and we're going to um, hear from her next. Father God, thank you for Mandy. Thank you for this place. Thank you for, um, even though we're, we're shivering, <laughs> um, thank you for the people that are going to turn the heat up in whatever room they're in doing that. And so thank you for that. And we just pray that um, the warmth that Mandy brings, um, Lord, would just exude to us right now as we get into your word and hear her personal story of how contentment, um, how she is learning contentment in you. In Jesus' name we pray.
3: Amen. Amen. So I'm going to take that with you. Are you fine? Maybe. Now that's in my eye. Are we good? I think I'm good. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Okay. I was thinking when all the babies started crying, maybe I wouldn't have to talk because they were just going to preach for us. Um, I'm Mandy Sisko, for those of you that I haven't met before, and um, Sherry told you about my husband, that he works here and is on staff, and he's the better half of the couple for sure, and definitely the more funny one. Um, and then we have four kiddos. Here's a picture of our family from Thanksgiving. Allie is our oldest, she's 13, so we're starting to live those teenage years out for reals. Um, and then Caleb, a week from today, will be 12, because when I was, had a three-month-old baby, I found out I was pregnant. Anybody else in the room? Do that insanity, woo um, and then Riley up at the top is nine he 's about to hit double digits as well, and our little surprise caboose is seven, and he is keeping us humble um, i 'm going to start with um, a really fun story that i 've never gotten to share from the, from the stage before, and it actually is a blast from the past because when we only had two kids. Allie was three and Caleb was two-ish, somewhere in there. And we, uh, Lance and I decided we were gonna go to a plant nursery and go pick out some pansies. Uh, This is when we lived in Tyler. And I wanna set the picture for you that this nursery was just a huge tent and it was way bigger than even a football field, but all of the flowers and maybe all nurseries are this way, but I'm not finding that to be true in Dallas, but all of the flowers were on the ground on pallets. So basically you could see from one end of this tent all the way to the other clear through, okay? We've got the little metal wagon and Caleb sitting in that and just tooting around and Allie's stumbling around that three-year-old walk or whatever. And Lance and I are trying to decide, you know, what color pansies we wanna get. We finally decided on orange and we had walked away from the wagon where Caleb was. So I was walking back towards the wagon and Lance is filling our flat with 15 of these orange pansies. And I, I have Allie and, and Lance are both behind me and I'm walking toward Caleb and I all of a sudden hear my husband shout, Allie, honey, real loud. And so I turned around startled to see my husband holding a flat of pansies completely exposed from the waist down. <laughs> Underwear, pants, all the way to his ankles. And he literally goes... <laughs> one of the funniest memories of our entire married life to date, for sure. I literally was like, tears were pouring down my face. I was laughing so hard. I could not, could not gather myself together. He's completely humiliated. And I picked up Caleb and I was like, what happened? And he said, I was walking away with the flowers and she got scared that we were leaving her and she took off and tripped and literally just took everything down. Oh, I just still, it's one of my favorite stories. We always, we always have a good laugh when we retell that one. Um, hands down the funniest. But the reason that I share that story with you today Is because this morning the plan is for me um, to fully expose my heart. I promise to keep my clothes on. Um, But today is more of a testimony for me um, and just me sharing some personal things about our family and some of the hardest things that we've walked through, some of the hardest things that I've faced as a mom, um, and hopefully explain to you how the Lord is showing me that they're deeply rooted in contentment versus discontentment. Um, Because I've always viewed the battle for contentment as something more personal and something for me like a lack of something in my life that I'm discontent with or a situation that I wish would be different. Um, But as I've had children, I'm realizing that discontentment can be so closely tied to my kids, what they're experiencing the situations they find themselves in, the seasons that they walk through, sometimes even their behavior issues or their bad choices. And so this part of contentment as a mom has been a lot more tricky for me to navigate. Um, And so I'm assuming that maybe the same is true for some of you. Maybe you're cruising along, doing just fine, feel that you are very content with where the Lord has you, but suddenly you have a child that won't sleep through the night anymore, Um, Or maybe you have one that is really struggling to potty train and it has been the longest season of discontentment in that. Um, Or I've spoken to several people recently who have ended up in the hospital with babies with RSV and you're like, this is not where I want to be. This is not what I want to be walking through right now. Um, Maybe your kids are a little bit older and you're getting phone calls from teachers continually about their lack of self control or their behavior issues in the classroom. or even a little bit older when you wish that your kids had friendships that they don't have and you're having a hard time understanding what they're, what's it, what they're experiencing at school and you are hurting for them. Um, or even those older kiddos that start to play sports and then find out they didn't make the team. All those kinds of things really tug at mom's heart and really make it hard um, to walk, for, walk through. And just under a year ago, I began to feel really unsatisfied very discontent, and super heavy-hearted. I had four, four kids, and every one of them was walking through something really difficult. And as a mom, your kids don't walk through that themselves. You carry those things too. I had um, one kiddo that was diagnosed with dyslexia, and a lot of conversations and hard things to walk through there. I had another, literally three months later, diagnosed with a math disability in sixth grade, um, which was really hard to, to walk through at that point in her life. Um, I had another one who's usually the one that has nothing going on in life, and I can always count on him to be really calm and peaceful. Um, and he was really struggling with some run-ins with a particular person at school. And at the age where he needed to learn to speak up for himself or to call on a teacher when he needed it and those kinds of things, and having to trust as a mom that he's gonna make the right steps and still treat someone kindly, but draw boundary lines was hard to navigate. And then on top of all of that, what seemed to be a huge dark cloud that surrounded our whole family was um, one of our kiddos was really struggling severely with some emotional issues. I really told myself I wasn't gonna cry. Um, And the verdict is still out on exactly what all is going on in his life, but it has been hard because that has been an issue for us that I can't find very many people to relate with or to um, to help us walk through that. So fast forward, that's all been in the last year. And fast forward to just a few months ago, I was sitting in a parking lot completely wrecked. I had just left a mental health awareness class which you should never attend without friends. Um, And I sat in my car paralyzed, feeling stuck, alone, and anxious. But in that darkest moment, a very sweet friend, one that's in this room right now, reminded me of truths that are found in Exodus. And you guys, she nailed it. Absolutely nailed it, because I very much felt like the Israelites, because you remember they had just been freed from slavery, wandering through the desert, but find themselves with the Red Sea right in front of them, and the fear of what was attacking them from behind and what was advancing against them. In fact, um, Exodus 14.3 says, Pharaoh will think that Israelites are wandering around in a land of confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and that described me perfectly. I felt like I was wandering. I found myself in a land of confusion. I was feeling anxiety about what was advancing against me, and I was seeing a world of impossibility before me. I have never related so closely with the, with the Israelites than in that moment. You see, discontentment believes that God got it wrong and stays stuck in that place, stuck in fear. But women of faith can choose contentment we can choose to believe that God knows best and then walk faithfully forward because of that. While I sat stuck, I wasn't asking all of the questions. Maybe you're like me. I tend to ask questions like, how did we get here? How do we get out of here? How do I fix this? How do I make this better? And that's what I just go into self reliant mode. Like, what, what do I have to do to make this all go away and, and get better? And I wasn't really at a place where that was going to happen anyways. These things were all out of my control. And the Lord would want me to ask questions beyond that. He doesn't mind those questions, but he wants us to go a little further and ask things like, Lord, how can you be glorified in this? What, what would you like me to grow in because of this situation? How would you like to grow my child because of this situation? Because while I, I know really well what's easiest and most comfortable, but I absolutely have no idea what is best. But I didn't choose, um, you, I think you have a choice. You have a choice to to pray or to panic. And I definitely choose, chose to panic. And eventually that panic catapulted me in my mind, so far forward. Um, I'm curious if other people do this. You play the what if game, particularly when it pertains to our children. But what, what if? What, what if they don't make friends? Um, what if they get hurt? What if this keeps them from getting into college? What if they die? And for me, my big what if, was what if he harms himself? And Elizabeth Elliot says there's no grace for our imagination. And I'm really clinging tightly to that and remembering that because there's not. There's grace for today. There's grace for the reality that we live in. But the things we make up in our mind, there's no grace there. Um, In the show, This Is Us, my two favorite people are Beth and Randall. (laughs) And if you saw the episode where they played Worst Case Scenario... I was dying laughing. It's really, it's really an epic scene. But they do, they go back and forth with the worst case scenario and they are like one upping each other on the worst possible things, choices that their girls could make. Um, And the good news about that game, guys, if you find yourself there, is that go ahead, go all the way to the end. I did, and guess what was still there? Jesus. The hard part about that game is that it just ups the ante on anxiety. I know it did for me that particular night in my car. What the Israelites needed to remember, what I need to remember, and what I hope you leave here this morning remembering, is that God will never put us where his presence can't sustain us. We have to believe that for ourselves and our children. And as moms, our kids are the most vulnerable thing that we have on this earth. That is the place that tugs at our hearts the most. And so we have to believe that God will never put us, God will never put our children where his presence can't sustain them. Do we believe that? We can have content hearts in the midst of trials. And we can be content moms no matter what our kids face. Because just like the Israelites, God is pouring down manna every day. And that's what my sweet friend was reminding me when I would say, I don't know what to do next, or I don't know what steps to take, or I don't know, and this, and what if this, and what if this, and what if this? And she was like, today. He doled out the manna for today. Just scoop it up and take it today. You can't have tomorrow's portion, because that's tomorrow. You can only have today's portion of manna. And so what is it that he's provided? What is it that he's given? scoop it up. He gave it for you. He is providing for you. Psalm 37, 23 and 24 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall and we have fallen a lot, he shall not utterly be cast down because the Lord upholds him. I can say that today for sure. Habakkuk 3:17 through 19 says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, there's no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and he enables me to tread on the heights the reason that preparing for this talk has been so hard is because I'm not teaching a lesson that has been learned. I don't know that I've ever done that before, you guys. I think the Lord has always allowed me to have things tied up in a pretty bow and be able to go, hey, here's the three things I learned, you know? And, um, and this one's been hard because we're still living in it. And I wore my Marian Bright sweatshirt today because isn't that what Advent is about? We are waiting I am waiting for the Lord to push back that sea and to go, look, this is the way. I'm watching out for you. I'm protecting you. I'm protecting your kids. We're waiting for him to let the water fall back. So it isn't impossible anymore. He has a way. He has a plan. And until then, until that moment happens, trust Until that moment happens, contentment. One of the things I learned in my Bible study this year is that the light and beauty of a diamond can only shine when it's placed on a dark backdrop. And I really love that. He wants us to find contentment in those hard and dark places because his glory shines the brightest. And Suzanne reminded us that one day we get to partner in that glory And we get to shine like diamonds. In closing, I just want to share um, an Instagram post that I posted a while back. And it kind of sums up my whole testimony of the last year. And I thought I would share it with you guys. It says, I've just made the rounds. I've walked into every room and I've prayed over every human that lives in these walls. This mom gig is hard and each season is only getting harder. They each carry their own little burdens, and it is a full-time job not to carry them as well. To walk into each room and to pray over their hurts and their fears and their disappointments, to hand the Lord your baby's heartaches and then walk away without them. No fixing, no manipulating, no replaying what happened and no what-if games. Just walk away and trust. Just believe the Lord is who he says that he is and that he will do What he says he will do. He is enough.
2: Ladies, we want to read something over y'all. So if you will bow your heads and just listen to us while we read this for you. And then when we're done with this, we're just going to play music while y'all, well, quietly, while y'all have a small group discussion time. So the questions will go up there. This is from Paul Tripp's book, Um, Wider Than Snow.
3: Adapted. Yeah, it's a little adapted it says it up there just slightly all
2: right enough is this persistent problem this side of eternity enough is what we seldom seem to get right enough is what trips us up again and again enough is one of our deepest sources of trouble enough is what we find difficulty in being satisfied with although the definition is different for each of us the struggle with our enough is that it tends to keep expanding And when it does, we never seem to have enough.
3: It's the thing that slaps you in the face in Psalm 51. How could what David had been given not be enough? Born into a family of faith, anointed by the great prophet Samuel, chosen to be king of Israel, set apart to be the father of the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. How could it not be enough?
2: Through David, the promised Messiah would come and provide salvation for the world. In his anointing, God was connecting David to time and eternity. For the Lord of David is the hope of history, the king of eternity, the one with whom the Israel of God would one day dwell. So why was all this not enough for David?
3: It wasn't enough because what started out as God's kingdom morphed into David's kingdom. What was to be driven and shaped by the will of God became controlled by the desires of David. What was to be motivated by spiritual vision got kidnapped by a physical fight and sexual craving.
2: The plan of God that was to bring life sadly became a plan of men stained by lust and death. Having lost the war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self, David no longer viewed what God had given him as enough.
3: But don't be too hard on David. His dilemma is your story too. You get angry at your husband. You get irritated with your kids. You drown your worries in sugar and wine you fantasize yourself beyond god's boundaries you get addicted to power possessions and people precisely because in your sin you are not satisfied
2: what god has given you and the awesome gift of his grace in jesus christ is simply not enough christ satisfied hearts live joyfully inside of god's will while dissatisfied hearts pray fall, fall prey to all kinds of temptations enough is the war that rages inside each of us every day
3: but there will be a day when we will be satisfied there will be a time when what god has given us will be enough there will be a moment when we will all be so satiated by the presence and the glory of the lord that we will finally be free from the desire for more
2: may each day be a step towards satisfaction may we grow daily in the experience of being filled and satisfied by him as the old Christian chorus says, may the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May we say with joy and integrity of heart, he, he is an F.